Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and I thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your support during our first season and for our town hall series over the summer. The work of compassion certainly is intense, but it is so worth it, and you all make it possible. It's my intention that each and every episode brings you inspiration, hope, and encouragement. I also want to give you something to think about, a different perspective or a deeper insight, something that you can truly engage with. And this episode, wow, I am still thinking about the conversation we feature. I learned a lot about and from my guests, and as you'll hear, before we wrapped the show, recreated something that I believe is going to change Las Vegas for good. Season two, episode one features elected officials from three levels of government. Las Vegas City Councilman Brian Knudsen, County Commissioner Justin Jones, and State Assemblyman William McCurdy II. They share their perspectives on systemic racism in the Valley and the keys to creating lasting change. The video for this episode is a two-parter available on YouTube, so check it out. A lot of what was said was actually said through body language and facial expressions, so this is definitely one you want to see. The founder of Compassionate Las Vegas joins us to close this episode, so make sure you listen to the end. All right, my friends, it is time for Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'd like to welcome my three guests today, County Commissioner Justin Jones, Assemblyman William McCurdy, and City Councilman Brian Knudsen. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Will. Thank you very much, Will. Absolutely. So I'm going to throw the first question out to the three of you, and it's simply this. How do you define compassion, and why is it important to you? I'll just jump right in. Uh, to me, compassion is being able to see those who are suffering and have the not only uh, empathy, but also have the understanding that there needs to be change uh, within that area. Um, compassion is something that is needed right now in this country. It is needed in every level of government, whether we're talking about the judicial uh, branch, the executive branch, or the legislative and policymaking branch. Uh, but compassion is something that I see uh, being needed, as well as uh, just really having an understanding of those who are suffering and those who are um, going through an unfortunate time. And I'll I'll just echo Assemblyman McCurdy. I think that it's really uh, looking beyond yourselves to to the plight of others, but also taking action. I mean, there are many people who don't have the luxury of of being able to uh, really make change and and help other people in the same way that, that we do. And that's why it's really incumbent upon us to, to take meaningful action to help the, the many in our community who are, are truly suffering. Yeah, and to add on to that, the, the compassion is an important word. I think passion is the, the part of the word that I really focus in on because it's one thing to, to talk. It's another thing to complain about the world around us. Um, but to have the passion, to have the fire in the belly, the the mind and the heart to focus in on those things that can really make a difference for people in our community, in our state, and in our world. It's the passion that I think as elected officials, we need to take up 
um, and be passionate about our compassion for people in our community. I love that. Passionate about compassion. And you absolutely demonstrate that, all three of you, in, in your work and in your lives, just as, as human beings. So that's why you're here today. And I think that we're going to get some really, really good conversation out of our time together. In a sentence or two, how do you envision the future of Las Vegas? Wow, I think that's a complicated uh, question, Trey, and distill it into one sentence. But I really think it, it comes down to thoughtful planning. I know the city of Las Vegas is going through their 2050 master plan, plan process as, as well as the county. I think it's really a matter of ensuring that we have the community of the future that we want, and that must include uh, every member of our community um, from, from top to bottom. And uh, so I think it's really thoughtfully thinking through what the next 30 years look like in our community. So, Commissioner, if you had a magic wand and you could just remake Las Vegas into exactly what it should be in your view, what would that look like? Wow, it would definitely uh, be more thoughtfully planned community uh, in terms of where development occurs um, and definitely public transit op options and making sure that everyone has the same access to the same opportunities and amenities from education to, to social services. Okay. Councilman, what about you? So, well, uh, your first question, um, I think about Vegas in a number of ways. I can't do it in a sentence. Um, but going back in my history, being a, a new resident to Las Vegas, um, because of work and leaders like Gar Jameson, I was able to focus in on feeding children. Um, and in a matter of six months, we were able to create an entire program feeding about 60,000 children in after-school programs throughout the Valley. Um, and it was then that I learned what Las Vegas is all about. Um, it, it's about having this passion, this compassion, um, and Vegas will open up its doors. Southern Nevada, Nevada will open up its doors for people who are passionate and want to make significant change. Um, that's unlike anywhere else in the country where you're a, a small fish in a large fishbowl. Um, here, if you want to be a big fish and you want to make change, this is the place to do it. Um, and so uh, someone who I've been here for about 16 years now, I'm a, a little known quantity, but I've made friends and I learned how to um, find things that I'm passionate about and can make change. And in this role in particular, I see Vegas um, and Southern Nevada and the state of Nevada with a very bright future as long as we stay focused, um, focused in on those things that are most important, which for I think those on this call is quality of life for everybody and equality for everybody. Yeah, I think you bring up such an important point to reiterate, which is really we can remake this city into whatever we envision because it's just that type of place. We're able to make the connections and there aren't the institutions and pillars that kind of put the roadblocks up. So I, I think you're, you're so spot on with saying that, so thank you. And Assemblyman McCurdy. Yes, and I'll just uh, jump right in and I, I echo the comments of, of both my colleagues, but I also see uh, the future of Las Vegas uh, in the county uh, at large uh, being one that is not only responsive, but also welcoming uh, to all of our communities, no matter how you choose uh, to live your life, no matter what color your skin, no matter how tall or short you are, uh, I see, um, the future of this county uh, being one that is welcoming 
uh, one that is compassionate, one that is passionate about the change that needs to occur to address the needs of the people. Uh, so I would like uh, to, to have a role in, in, in what the future of, of this county will look like. I am looking forward to working uh, with my colleagues. And I know that if we are all able to step outside of ourselves and just focus on those who are most at risk and most in, in need, uh, we will indeed create uh, a county that is responsive uh, to the people. And to go further, I think that there needs to be more sincerity uh, coming from the halls and also the offices of power. Uh, oftentimes we see folks getting elected and they are worried about self. But with this group here with me on this screen, as well as many others that I've had an opportunity to get to know, uh, we are seeing a, a, a shift in thought. And we are seeing vibrations go throughout this nation and throughout this state that want to be more involved uh, with the improvement of the quality of life of the people. And once we tackle that, and once we're able to move forward and have the foresight to see, that we're going, see where we're going, improving the economic situation, improving the social situation, improving the, I guess you would call it the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and making sure that we are meeting those needs. Uh, this county and this state uh, will thrive uh, in ways that we have never imagined. Now, I'm glad you bring up Maslow because last season we actually had someone on that talked about meeting those needs. I personally always turn that pyramid upside down and start with self-actualization because I think out of that fulfilled self, you're able to be sincere and then the other needs just flow. But that's another podcast. We'll do with that another time. So Commissioner Jones, I wanna to turn to you. As a former state Senator and current County Commissioner, what do you see as the most important legislative action that Las Vegas can take to be a more compassionate city and embody everything that Assemblyman just said? Well, I think that uh, like Assemblyman uh, McCurdy said, and, and also Councilman Knudsen, this is really a place where regular people can step up to the plate and have stepped up to the plate to try and make a difference. Uh, you know, I, I serve in the County Commission, our County Commission Chair uh, previously served as, as the Speaker of the State Assembly and going back in, in her life and her career, uh, you know, she, she started as, as a cocktail server. And, and that's really indicative of, of the people who really have worked hard in our community, stepping up and, and doing more. Um, but getting back to your, to your question with regards to the legislature, I think that there are really some fundamental structural hurdles in the state of Nevada, uh, certainly when it comes to taxation, uh, when it comes to uh, the number of people and, and the caliber of people that work in our state and, and local governments that have been pointed out by people smarter than me, like Nancy Brune from the Gwynn Center recently. Um, I think that it is really uh, critical in this 2021 legislative session that we take on uh, head on those types of issues uh, so that the next time we have an economic downturn like we did uh, this year and like we did a decade ago, that we are better prepared uh, from a healthcare perspective, from an economic perspective, uh, to, to meet the challenges of, of the next decade. You know, what do you see in place right now that we can use to create some of those changes? I can answer that question. I, I would say what we have right now is the will of the people. 
Um, I, I know every every one of us politicians knocking on doors when you ask people what are they staying up at night, things that are scaring them. Um, it comes back to that that hierarchy. Um, it's food, shelter. Mostly they're thinking about education for their children. They're thinking about how they're going to get to and from work for transportation. They're thinking about if they're going to have work. Um, so I, I think the will of the people should guide what we're doing. Um, the will of the people want to feel safe and secure in in their homes. Uh, and we, we have the ability to do that. I think the Commissioner Jones hits it uh, spot on is we have structural imbalances in our systems at the state level that don't allow us to fully fund education, that don't allow us to fully fund transportation, that don't allow us to diversify our economy to the expectation of our community. Um, I think as, as people in positions of power, we need to take to heart what people are most afraid of and what they're most passionate about and build a system and a structure that'll allow them to be successful. So with these barriers that you're talking about, how do we shift them? How do we change them so that we can do the things that we envision? In my perspective, it's, it's, it's conversations like this. It's, it's conversations with people in positions of power to help them feel comfortable making very difficult choices. And it's, it's oftentimes not a choice of between bad and good or evil and right. It's a choice between a really hard decision and a really bad decision. Um, and you have to really balance out what is best for the community. Um, I think if we think through how we protect quality of life for every individual, it's gonna come down to those basic necessities, education, transportation, jobs. Um, those things provide for food and healthcare. Um, and so we, we really need to be courageous and strong enough to stand up and say, this is what our community needs. And Nevada, it's time to change. Councilman, you are a trailblazer. Um, so I'm fortunate that there's people that I can follow in. And it's always helpful to have someone you can follow. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And one of the reasons I bring that up is because what we're doing right now requires someone with the courage to be sincere and authentic. And I love that you didn't make your orientation the central focus of your campaign, but you were very open from the very beginning and wanted people to know exactly who they were electing. So with that in mind, you're a father, you're a former consultant for the school district. You mentioned the will of the people being a force for good. What can we do as the city to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place? I think my first and foremost responsibility is to have strong relationships with the county and the state. Um, any one municipality, any one organization in the state just isn't strong enough to bear the burden of improving quality of life for everyone. Um, we are an interconnected state of a variety of different jurisdictions and organizations that help prop people up. And so it's, it's Nevada is still small enough that it's about relationships. We have to build trust. There can't be competition um, in a negative way um, amongst jurisdictions. There has to be a collaborative approach. There has to be a compassionate approach to building out systems and then thinking about how we can um, leverage each other's strengths and build upon each other's weaknesses to make it a better overall comprehensive network of nets to protect people and to build people up. Absolutely hear that. And Will, if I may, um, I think the councilman is spot on. Uh, what we need to take us to the next level is number one, compassion, uh, number two, courage, and number three, collaboration. 
uh, without courage, uh, we cannot move an agenda that is going to be beneficial to the people. Uh, without compassion and passion, we are not, we will not have the ability uh, to be steadfast in our belief that yes, there is something wrong on this end, and yes, we have to have a plan to address it. Uh, so, like the councilman also stated, that we have to have relationships at every level of government. This is only going to change if everyone feels uh, the, the the responsibility uh, to have the, the 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 shared understanding that we absolutely have uh, many issues that are facing the people each day that we have to move on. Uh, so collaboration, it is not always easy because you have folks who have different philosophies, different backgrounds, different biases, and different beliefs, uh, which also urges, urges us to take a step back and always keep the people's agenda in the forefront. And with us having the ability to gather the data uh, and the statistics that are going to be needed in order for us to move this agenda forward, uh, I believe uh, that will help us all get to a place where we can actually create the change that we want to see. Uh, collaboration and courage. And shared responsibility. Shared responsibility, 100%. And wisdom is a key piece of that. So I just wanna give a shout out to the late assemblyman uh, Tyrone Thompson. You know, he moved in such a way and was such a great mentor to so many. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring him up during this conversation. Now, Assemblyman, you personally experienced the disparity in the school system, how education quality varies widely from one part of town to the next. You also overcame many great challenges that other people may have just been like, it's too much, I can't do. Becoming a father at a young age, completing high school in your 20s, but you went on to be, is it class president at CSN when you graduated? Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, and assemblyman, and now your new, new space you're in. I mean, you have really, truly taken the bull by the horns and made a change for yourself. You mentioned collaboration. I, I also have to mention you're the Democratic Party chair. So, I mean, you, you obviously have to know how to collaborate. What is it that is missing in our city right now that is perhaps creating some of these barriers between city, county, state? I believe that we are lacking political will. It's not that we have a lack of folks who are in positions to create the change, but what we are lacking, in my opinion, is political will. Um, and oftentimes when you have folks, for instance, I'm at the state legislature right now, and, uh, if, if all goes well, November 3, I'll be on the county commission serving with our, our people's champ, uh, Commissioner Jones. Uh, but one thing that I notice is that we all have different districts and some of the districts are more affluent than others. And it's kind of hard for folks who are in a comfortable situation to understand and also recognize the responsibility to make sure that we lift all boats. They say a rising tide lifts all boats, but how can we present a case when we are, when we are, you know, creating policy that will allow others who may come from a district that is not so underrepresented, that is not so underprivileged uh, to want to champion those causes. And that comes through education. Uh, your behavior is influenced by your ideas. Our ideas is influenced by your education. Your education is influenced by those in which you associate with. 
So having platforms like these, having honest conversations, having the ability to share in the understanding that uh, we're not all doing good until we're all doing good, uh, that's going to have to be something that we are unafraid uh, to have a discussion about. In my district, what I realized uh, very early on, uh, especially now that we're in the time of COVID, is that before the COVID hit, we were already in my district at $25,000 annually uh, per family. Whereas the rest of the state or the rest of the, 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 the county rather was at about $56,000. So if you compile that with COVID, if you compile that with uh, healthcare disparities, we have a crisis happening right here in our backyards. Uh, so I am uh, very interested in, in, in working with our, 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 our county commissioner, uh, the people's champ, Commissioner Jones, in, in alleviating some of these pressures that the families are feeling. Right now, we're, you know, we know that on October 15th, uh, the eviction moratorium is going to be lifted. What are we doing to respond to folks who are going to be put outdoors? What are we doing to respond to those who are losing their cars by the day? I mean, we have, you know, you know the, the cars being picked up right here in my district, and I, and I see them loading them up and pull them off. They have a car hauler that they're picking up. So... The work is heavy, but I believe that many hands make for light work, which is why I believe uh, what the councilman said, that we have to all work together, city, state, and county, to make sure that we provide a relief to those who are feeling the brunt of this economic disaster that we're in. And I would say, uh, uh, sure, I mean, Councilman Knutson and I uh, have been sort of banging our heads against the, the wall a bit in working uh, on collaboration on the, the Southern Nevada Regional Planning Coalition, um, trying to, to, to just get everyone bought into the concept of working together on uh, really regional uh, needs and, and making sure that those needs are, are adequately expressed to the Nevada legislature, our leaders in, in Carson City. Um, and, and, and like the Assemblyman said, I, I think this is really uh, the, the right time the, to, to really take advantage of those relationships that we all have uh, with our, our state leaders and come together in, in the, next, uh, the next few months to, to address the absolutely critical needs that we have uh, across Southern Nevada and, and to a certain extent across the state. Um, we, we need to champion uh, the needs of, of the people in our respective districts, but understand also that Assemblyman McCurdy said, so some, some people in some areas are, are hurting in different ways than, than those in other areas, and we have to ensure that everyone, uh, everyone's needs are adequately addressed, uh, whether they're uh, out in Mountain's Edge in, in my area or whether they're on the, the historic west side, um, and, you know, that is, or, or out in rural areas. Everyone is in, in a little bit different circumstances, and we need to make sure that we address all of those needs together. And Will, I would jump in um, to, to highlight uh, something that I think Assemblyman McCurdy was right on. Um, political will is the thing that'll move our, our community, our state forward. Um, I would also add on to that is trust. Um, for a lot of reasons, there's decades of mistrust amongst individuals and systems, and systems trust each other just like individuals do. Um, and I learned a long time ago from Guard Jameson that uh, trust is the first building block of everything else. Nothing else works unless you trust the person you're in the same room with. Uh, and so 
as I think about that, um, there's no better time to trust another one another is than when you're most vulnerable. You you really have no choice, and that's how I look at us, at least in the in the near term future with COVID, uh, and the pending economic crisis really bringing everybody to their knees. Um, we we've got to learn how to trust each other and be okay being vulnerable as individuals, um, and as systems as a government agency saying we are vulnerable to what's going to happen next, and we require. Um, partnerships and collaborations to move us to the next level. And we have to be courageous enough, like the assemblyman said, to stand up and say, this is what's right. I think you must be looking at my notes because that is exactly where I, I want to head with this and talk about trusting. So we'll get there in, in just a bit. One of the issues we're facing with trust really is racism and systemic racism white privilege. All of these are trigger words right now that some people are immediately going to say, that doesn't exist. And others are going to be like, yeah, we've got to deal with these issues. Now, Commissioner Jones, you were a guest on our panel for the Compassionate Las Vegas Town Hall series on policing and racism. You came back each week and participated. Why? Why? Because this is my community. Um, and although I understand my own white privilege, uh, having grown up in a two-parent educated uh, white family, I understand that uh, there are many in the community who didn't have the, the same opportunities that, that I had. And I represent all of those people. And frankly, many of them are, are my friends and neighbors. And so I, I can't do my job as a county commissioner, as any elected officials, without understanding uh, where everyone is coming from. And so since that time uh, of, of the prior conversations that we had, I've, I've really dug dug even deeper in, in meeting with, with different groups, going out uh, with, with Metro to, to understand their perspective, um, taking, uh, taking a part in, in some of the uh, discussions that were had with regards to uh, Byron Williams, um, who unfortunately died as a result of interactions with the police. And so I, I really am trying to understand everyone's perspective so that we can, again, come together uh, with meaningful, thoughtful solutions so that uh, we as a community can and do the right thing. Where does change begin? Change begins with all of us. I mean, I, I think that you've heard it from, from my colleagues here. Uh, there, there are many who don't have the luxury because they're simply trying to put food in their mouths every day and food on the table for their families, but we do. Um, we're in a position where we can actually make change. And, uh, you know, I didn't run for office so that I could sit back and enrich myself. I, I'm only here. I, I, could, I could do better uh, staying as a lawyer, but this is, uh, this is my community and I want to try and give back. Um, and for the time that the people in my district have given me the opportunity, I'm going to use every minute to, to, to make that change and, and forge those relationships with people like those on, on uh, this presentation today uh, to better this community. So Assemblyman McCurdy, what do people in your neighborhood, your district need to hear from from Justin Jones, just we'll just say the person, Justin Jones, to build trust, to build those relationships. I believe that the commissioner hit it right on. Um, it starts change. Change starts with us. And it starts with the recognition of who we are, what we've benefited from, 
and how we can utilize our individual agency and how we can utilize our, our individual privilege to advance the causes of those who are underprivileged. My district um, has been historically uh, looked over in terms of economic investment. So I can say the number one issue that are that is on the forefront of people's minds is economic opportunity. Uh, it's not that residents in Commission District D or in the historic West Side or in even East Las Vegas wants anything different. What we would like is the same opportunities that have been provided to those who are of a different uh, background who have been able to benefit from a slightly different, um, you know, uh, advantage, if you will. But one thing that I see more often now is that you have leaders like Commissioner Jones who are coming out of their comfort zone to understand what exactly is going on in the community. You cannot understand what is happening if you do not get outside of your comfort zone. We have to be willing to be vulnerable ourselves as policymakers to understand what is happening in our communities. Uh, and one thing that I've noticed as well is that change doesn't come from the county commission, change comes to the county commission. Commissioner Jones was a candidate and came to the county commission to make change. So change came to the county commission and the only way that we're going to continue to make progress in terms of uh, being responsive to the community is if we continue to have leaders who are willing to come to the seats of power to, um, to, to help educate folks who are currently there about the issues that are happening on the ground. You can't govern without being on the ground in the trenches with the people. Uh, you can have empathy, uh, but you sometimes have to get outside of your comfort zone to actually understand what exactly you can do to help people have a better quality of life. Uh, it's, it's not that difficult. Again, I will reiterate that it takes political courage. It takes political courage to stand up as a white male to say, hey, what's happening in black and brown communities is wrong. What's happening needs to be changed. And this is what I am going to do to take my responsibility to the people and advance change. So I believe that we are heading in the much more um, equitable generation. I believe that there are a lot more people who are being awakened by the injustices that are happening within our communities. Uh, and, and clearly there is an understanding by folks who are in various industries that we cannot exist unless we address the issues that are happening. And the only way to address it is to recognize that there is a problem, is to recognize that racism is real, is to recognize that yes, I am a black man and yes, as a man, I have privilege, but being black, it also puts me in a different category. And it also makes me vulnerable to systems and structures that have been created to keep people that look like me from being able to prosper fully in this great nation. And I say that it's great because we have the power to make change with the positions of power that we have. We just have to speak our truth and be unapologetic about how we uh, have feel, how we feel, and what we have come to find out to be a truth. Uh, it needs to be rooted and grounded in facts and, and data, and we have to ask ourselves, what is our values? Uh, what do I believe in? What do I want to see for the future uh, generations to come? And what kind of county, what kind of state am I going to leave to my children to be able to thrive in? Councilman, I want to bring you in on this because as a member of the LGBTQ community, 
you recognize what it's like to be marginalized. You've had to overcome experiences, even though you are a white male who has white male privilege, you still have that lived experience that connects you in a way that others may not be able to relate. The Liberate Milwaukee, Liberate MKE noted 40% of Las Vegas general budget was allocated to law enforcement. I can personally say the only traffic tickets I've ever received since moving here six years ago have been in the poorer parts of town. And they've been for things like cell phone use. Whereas in Summerlin, I go and everybody's on the cell phone and police just kind of give it a pass. I, I share those pieces because I think it's important to recognize even the way policing is done varies from neighborhood to neighborhood. Studies show that increasing policing and prisons do not actually reduce violent crime. They don't actually improve the safety of communities. What are some things we can do perhaps to invest differently in our community to make it safer, to make it more equitable, and so that Black men aren't afraid when they do interact with police? So I think it's a great question and an observation that's true and honest. Um, some of the things I, 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 I approach it from a, a systems perspective, um, and the question you had a few questions back what, was, what are the first steps to making change? And the first step for me is listening. And so listening to all sides, um, for groups that came out and protested the city of Las Vegas for a variety of actions, listening to them, to the police officers, listening to them. Um, and if you, you take time to sit and listen to both groups who are on very, very different sides right now, their answers are exactly the same um, when it comes to making change. Uh, police officers want a more substantial mental health system. Police officers want a more substantial housing system. Police officers want a more substantial healthcare system. Um, and when it comes right down to it, our police officers are first line responders. They're the ones that respond when somebody calls. So systemically, we have uh, very impactful racial issues we need to overcome. Community-wide, statewide, nationally, worldwide, we have racial issues we have to overcome because police officers are responding to calls. They're responding to people's requests for assistance. And that is an issue and a challenge because we have people who are putting people into categories and calling for help when they don't need to. Um, and that's being institutionalized within individuals within a police system. They don't know always that that's what's happening. But from my perspective, when you listen to them, their responses are the same as every other individual is, we need to build out more comprehensive systems to make sure that people are taken care of. And if people see someone on a cell phone driving, don't call 911. Don't call for help when you don't need help. Um, we should reserve our calls for help from a police department for violent crimes, and that's it. Um, so systemic racism is real, it's sad, and it exists in our housing and our education and our public health. Um, and in every other system and in the minds and hearts, unfortunately, of too many people in our country. So we have three levels of government here. And that is, I think, a recipe where we can really create a plan, get an idea together. One thing that I'd like to bring to the table and have a conversation about is participatory budgeting. And so in short, that means the community members actually have a voice in where their tax dollars go, how the city allocates its funds, how the state allocates funds. 
what are your thoughts on that? And is that something that this team here, call you a team, is that something that you can bring to the table and make a reality? Well, I would say first off, uh, Will, is understanding how the process works now versus what you're suggesting. And, and just so people understand, at least with regards to uh, Metro's budget, Metro is, is a collaboration between the city and county. Uh, and they are, in terms of their, their fiscal affairs, there are two representatives from the county commission and two representatives from the city of Las Vegas uh, council that are the, the members, uh, four of the five members of, of the fiscal affairs uh, committee uh, that makes the recommendations with regards to Metro's budget. And I think one of the things that's important is to make sure, uh, at least initially, uh, to, to have the right people making those decisions on, on fiscal affairs. Uh, that's the first place for change. And then from there, make sure that there is more participation from the community that guides uh, the fiscal affairs committee in, in their decisions uh, as they go forward into a 2021 budget cycle. Um, we certainly have folks who have, have come down to the county commission during our last budget cycle in 2020 to express their views uh, but I don't think that there has been enough participation on the front end before that budget gets uh, gets uh, recommended. Um, you know, the staff and, and on Metro side, Metro uh, make those recommendations as to how that money is is going to be used. And, and I think that we need to do a better job on the front end of getting people involved uh, before the staff recommendations um, to make sure that the community's priorities are articulated in the budget process. So, Commissioner, who are the right people? Well, I mean, some of them are on this call right now, but I, I, I definitely think that that uh, the, the city council, the the county commission, need to make sure that the views of of the the two bodies are represented on the fiscal affairs uh, committee, um, and those appointments will will happen in January. Um, two of the members of, of the fiscal affairs committee right now are. Are, uh, are either termed out or unlikely to return. And so there's some, some real opportunity in the future uh, to make some pretty substantial change in who the people making the decisions will be. In other places, they use something called a citizen's assembly. And in short, it's, we'll say, 100 people that are representative of the demographics of that particular place. And they come together and decide policy and create this, this change we're talking about. Is that something that we could look at for Las Vegas, for the county, for the state? Well, I think you see a little bit of that in the mayor's multicultural advisory committee. Um, this is this is really a, an opportunity between the, the sheriff and, and members of the community uh, to to get together and and talk about some of the issues that are critical, at least in a law enforcement perspective. Uh, and so, I think that can be a model for a broader conversation that is really focused around meaningful change, not just in the uh, criminal justice space, uh, but other issues that are intersectional from, from housing uh, to education to economic diversification uh, throughout our community. So I, I think that there are, there are models uh, from other jurisdictions and then also some, some starting points here in, in Southern Nevada. And earlier you mentioned that it may appear that we're further apart than we are. 
on the subject of something like defund the police. What would happen if those 100 citizens who got together said, we want to defund the police and invest in other ways of community safety? What would you say to that? Well, I think that you've seen uh, with, with Sheriff Lombardo, the perspective that, that he has taken, and I've, I heard him say this well before uh, the, the most recent Black Lives Matter protest, is the, the police here and other places have been uh, foisted upon them many other responsibilities to, to address addiction, homelessness, uh, mental health uh, issues. And, and I think it's really time to take a step back and, and we are taking a step back and, and really examining what other options there are. You've seen uh, both before and, and since the Black Lives Matter protest movement, jurisdictions from Denver to Albuquerque uh, to Eugene, Oregon, uh, really refocus their, their funding priorities towards uh, substance abuse, mental health, homeless issues, going to social workers or, or other, uh, uh, other types of, of, of workers who can address these issues uh, in a better way than law enforcement can. And so I think there, there are really some, some common goals uh, across the community, both from law enforcement, from the mental health community, uh, and from the local government leaders to, to work together uh, on this issue. And I, I would add just a couple of considerations on the, the first point challenging you will is we have a citizen legislature um, and they're, they are representative of our community and that's what they're tasked with is developing that state budget. Um, so distinguishing between what you're intending and what our citizen legislature is. Uh, and then to the commissioner's uh, point around funding, it's great to say we want to fund a mental health care system and I think everyone agrees with that, but we have fewer mental health care professionals per capita than anywhere else in the country. And we have to develop a system from ground up. So what do we do in the interim when we don't actually have a system that's there? So 911, those, those, those cops are first responders. They're the only ones to go. There's nobody else. And so we have to, as guard would say, build the plane while you're flying it. Uh, it's unfortunate that, there's been a lack of foresight for a generation, generations now in Nevada and throughout the country. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, and I, I'm glad that you bring that up. It's, it's so vital that we, we fix the things that we can. We, we do have to have band-aids where we have to put band-aids. I mean, that's just the reality of things. How can we work together to We'll, we'll do the band-aids. We, we know that we have to do that in process. But how do we work together to actually restore people's trust in our institutions? And more importantly, how do we restore that trust in each other on a systemic level? I, I think it's just this. It's talking, being vulnerable, saying, here are the issues, here are the challenges. Help me find a solution. Help, help me figure out what the right path is. Um, it's there's no one right path for everybody. Um, it's coming together and saying, how can we come to the greatest amount of consensus of agreeability and then be passionate enough and courageous enough to say, here's the next step. Let's go get on board. Stop, stop complaining. Um, let's figure out what the, the next step is. And if there are issues and things that are going wrong, let's acknowledge them. Let's talk freely and openly about them and then say, here's ways that we can imp improve upon them. I think that is a perfect segue into what I'd like to, to do next, which is really invite the three of you to inquire of each other and to, to 
we'll start with naming one priority and then how do we build that out? So Assemblyman McCurdy, would you start with your, your one priority that you'd like to throw out there? Um, thank you for the question. I believe that we won't be able to address the racial injustice until we start talking about the economic injustice that has happened in the community. Uh, it, and, and that is my opinion. And what I would like to do is work with my colleagues here on this, on this platform, as well as other uh, colleagues at other, other levels of government uh, to prioritize economic incentives, economic investment in lower income, lower sense, low census tract, uh, low income census tracts across uh, Clark County. People can do for self when they have an opportunity to do for self. And I believe that once we provide them with the economic opportunity that they are seeking, uh, crime will go down. I believe that they will be, they will be busier. They will have more uh, time to spend with themselves in, in terms of uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial um, uh, opportunities that will be presented to them. And really and truly, we can unleash the genius and the untapped potential of, of many areas in our county. So to me, uh, my priority is going to be uh, addressing the economic condition of the people, uh, all while realizing that we are experiencing uh, one of the greatest pandemics that we've seen in some time. But I believe that if we are flexible and we are uh, able to reimagine uh, what justice looks like, I believe that we can get closer to a fix than, than where we are right now. Absolutely, and we will get past this. There will be a, a tomorrow after the pandemic. So, Councilman, what would your priority be? So I'm gonna jump in and, and uh, partner with the future Commissioner McCurdy because the, we share some space um, and I 100,000% agree in investing in areas and communities that need investment in from an economic development perspective. Healthcare, I think, is an amazing opportunity um, for our entire valley uh, to improve upon. One, if we want to build out those mental health care and healthcare systems, we have to build the infrastructure to allow for healthcare to grow and thrive here in Southern Nevada, which currently is not. Um, and it just so happens that healthcare is a booming industry. It's a great way to give people jobs. Um, so if we build out the infrastructure for healthcare, whether it be sports medicine, which we need now because we have all these sports teams, um, whether it be children's services, which we are currently exporting children to other states to provide care for because we don't have the care here, um, or other specialty services. If we build out the infrastructure to allow those industries to thrive, um, it creates jobs. And it just so happens that the future commissioner and I share some space um, in the areas that we represent. Um, and they need, those areas need more economic diversification. Healthcare is a great way to do that. So it's easy to capitalize on each other's priorities and opportunities. Commissioner Jones. Yeah, I, I would echo uh, my, my colleagues, Assemblyman McCurdy and, and Councilman Knutson. Um, there, there are so many issues that are of utmost important, uh, importance and, and really uh, cross over. When it comes to healthcare, I think that this COVID-19 uh, pandemic has really exposed the uh, inequalities when it comes to healthcare delivery in Southern Nevada. Uh, I can tell you, uh, we, we would get on the county commission daily or, and or weekly reports of, uh, of where COVID-19 was, was having outbreaks. And, and it was very clear as we went into the June, July timeframe 
that uh, the the communities that were hardest hit by COVID-19 were black and brown communities. And we had to respond immediately to ensure that they got adequate access to, to healthcare and, and to testing. Um, but the, the thing that I don't think that we're talking about enough is how much COVID-19 has exposed the divide when it comes to mental health services. So many of us uh, were, were, were forced into our homes um, and, and the mental health toll has been uh, truly substantial. Um, and I can tell you from, from frankly, we're talking about getting real and getting raw here. I have a family history of, of mental health and mental health issues and depression. And it was challenging for me and others in my own family, despite our ready access uh, to uh, healthcare services, um, to insurance, to find those services uh, during the pandemic and, and even today. And so I think that we, we, we absolutely address uh, healthcare across the board and, and mental health in particular in our community uh, to really serve the needs of, of everyone. Hope Means Nevada is doing a phenomenal job with addressing mental health in our communities. So that's one bright spot that we have. I really want to dive into this issue because the I think the economic piece and the healthcare piece really do go hand in glove. People have suggested things like universal basic income, universal healthcare coverage. Is there something that the three of you could sign on to that you could champion that would make our city a more compassionate place to live and to work and of course to play because this is Vegas. I, I can, uh, my thoughts on that having uh, worked with some of our federal delegation is I think the most critical and important thing we can do as elected officials in Southern Nevada, Nevada in general, is agree on top priorities and then arm our federal delegation with things to accomplish. Um, so for an example, if we were all to agree that say graduate medical education or incoming, uh, keeping residents here, because we now will have a medical school, if we keep residents here, um, that's federally funded. Um, it, it's, a, it's a symbolic gesture, but it's important and critical to an elected official to know that they have other elected officials that support what they're trying to accomplish. Um, it's establishing those priorities and then arming each other um, and our federal delegation uh, first and foremost of what is critical for Southern Nevada to be successful. So it comes back to trust, agreement, coming to um, some consistent messaging around what's our most important priorities. Yeah, you know, with regards to healthcare, uh, everyone in our community does have access to healthcare. Uh, Clark County runs UMC Hospital, and and so everyone can get care uh, in the ER at UMC. Unfortunately, that is um, almost the worst uh, place that people can get uh, routine healthcare. And so we we have to step up and provide more opportunities for people to get routine care. Uh, somewhere other than in emergency rooms where it's extremely expensive and, and inefficient. And, uh, you know, I, I applaud our, our former governor, uh, Sandoval, and our current governor for continuing Medicaid expansion. Uh, but we to, to really take the next step, which is providing an option for, for folks so that everyone can have the same access to, to health care coverage. And uh, I think that's something that we need to work with our federal delegation on and with our hopefully future president. And I echo what both my colleagues have said uh, here. 
uh, regarding healthcare access and, and the availability uh, to folks who are, are, are in need. Um, I had an opportunity to work uh, within the healthcare industry for quite some time. And I can definitely say that there are a lot of folks who utilize uh, the emergency room like it's a primary care physician. Uh, and what that does is it puts more strain on the facility, it puts more strain on our, our, our frontline healthcare professionals. And, and all in all, they're not getting the adequate and routine care that they need. Uh, so I am looking forward to working uh, with, with everyone to, to improve the access to care uh, issue that we have currently within uh, the state of Nevada. And also, uh, you know, men, both, you know, uh, former Governor Sandoval and current Governor uh, Sisolak on the Medicaid expansion, uh, continuing with that. Uh, but one thing that we can do is after we get past this election and the dust settles, so to speak, uh, we're going to have to really get together around a table or, you know, virtually like this to have an adult discussion on some shared priorities. And sometimes that is not easy because we all have different priorities. But I do believe if we can agree on the basics of what our shared constituents need to, to not only survive, but thrive, uh, I believe that you know we'll be able to make some great progress in this state. So that we know, uh, you know economics is a major piece of, of everyone's uh, thought process daily. Because if you cannot provide for yourself, uh, your mental health is not right. Uh, we know that we have to look at food insecurity. Food insecurity is real. And it has also been exposed uh, during this pandemic. We see that uh, we were running out of food like this. As soon as things started, we had, you know, hundred, few hundred cars deep. We started to run out of food. So how can we plan for a more resilient response to whether there, you know, when there is an emergency or disaster. And I believe that going through this and evaluating and taking notes, we'll be able to come back uh, after the new year and, and, and start planning for the future to become a more resilient county uh, that looks at infrastructure, that looks at food security or insecurity rather, and looks at the economic diversification that needs to be had in order for us to continue to reinvent ourselves and be the, the destination county, if you will. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of opportunity. It's not all gloom and doom. And with the leaders that we have here on this phone call and, and, and others who share some of the same priorities that we have, I believe truly and sincerely that we will uh, be able to take our county to the next, uh, the next destination, if you will. You mentioned a, a, a key phrase, shared priorities. In the last 10 minutes or so, we have addressed the economic situation and healthcare. And it seems as though this is certainly something that is a shared priority between the three of you. And you recognize that it, it is all interconnected from infrastructure to education. We, we've identified that. And I'm so excited that we've, we've kind of nailed something down in a sense. What can we do now to move this forward? I would say, uh, obviously, uh, we're, we're a few months out from the legislative session. There are definitely still opportunities to, to really come together, local government, state government, uh, elected officials, and identify what those priorities are going to be and how do we really tackle them. 
Um, and so I, I think that now is the time to, to have those conversations, ongoing conversations uh, with regards to what the priorities for the next legislative session are going to be. Um, the governor, our legislative leaders, and, and Southern Nevada uh, leaders together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The planning starts now, uh, you know, because once the session starts, uh, you know, our current commissioner, former senator, uh, knows that it goes fast. Uh, so we have to get the working now and uh, be able to hands of those who are going to be creating those policies. All right, well, so I would, I would jump in and say one of the, the best lessons I, I got is, uh, is that Wayne Gretzky uh, quote is, know where the puck is before you, I can't remember the quote, but the puck, something about a puck. Um, but I, I learned that in public policy, it's trying to figure out where decision makers are going to be in about 10 years and mapping out the systems and the, uh, the programs that will be eligible for funding. Um, and so if we can do our very best to think about where our uh, Congress is going to be in 10 years, and planning out Las Vegas so that we're ready and uh, able to apply for federal funding, we can tackle one of our biggest challenges in Nevada, which is being one of the least funded uh, per capita than anywhere else in the country. That means more, less tax dollars coming back than we rightfully deserve. And it's because we're not prepared to take in money from the federal government. Um, and so mapping out where Congress is gonna be in 10 years and developing the systems at a local level and a statewide level to accept that federal funding that rightfully should go back to the taxpayers here, building out our infrastructure in a way that serves the needs of our population. So it, it has everything to do with um, preparing local and state leaders for the 21 session, but also mapping out where we're gonna be in, in 2031 and how do we start preparing for that now because government moves slowly and we need to be there when they're ready to go. And, and just real quick, uh, on uh, I, I neglected when I said we need to get together with our state state leaders. We also have to be real when uh, when when we have these discussions that we're we're not always the experts, and we need to turn to the people who are really the experts uh, when it comes to to finance, when it comes to uh, economic expansion, when it comes to healthcare. Uh, we we're all we're all elected leaders, and and we're. Uh, we, we have our skill sets, but we also hopefully know where our skill sets uh, are not. And we need to turn turn to the Gwynn Center, turn to UNLV, turn to LVGA, turn to those organizations and experts uh, to get their uh, help as we go forward. Great point. Stay with me, please. I was just going to say uh, one thing that I have learned in my time in the legislature is that uh, there are a lot of areas where we can invest our dollars as a state, where we can get matching dollars from the Fed. So I believe um, as we work with the stakeholders and the experts, we should prioritize areas where we know, let's just say we get a three to one match. We, you know, we, dress it, we, 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 we invest a dollar, we get $3 back from the Fed so, you know, to put up a, a program of some sort. Uh, and, and it's in various areas. Uh, I know that we get uh, a lot of federal dollars back when we invest in mental health service. I know, you know, there are a lot of areas. Workforce development, that's another area. So we have to get together when we have these discussions and also put that on the table and look at where are we missing out on the additional federal support where we can actually get a, a better bang for our buck, if you will. Uh, so I, I, that is something that we should definitely also uh, be looking at when we engage in these conversations. 
And I know that you asked, you know, where can we start? Where, where you know, where can we immediately start uh, moving the needle? And um, I am looking forward to working uh, with the councilman uh, on his, on his medical education district. I think that that's a phenomenal concept. It's rooted and grounded in, 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 in fact, and I believe that it will provide additional federal resources for us to continue to provide the workforce of the future. Uh, and we know, again, like he stated, that we do have uh, a healthcare provider shortage here in the state. So how can we incentivize folks to stay and be a resident here in the state of Nevada to provide care to those who are most in need? So that is one area where we can immediately uh, get to work and make change. Uh, I believe it will also foster economic development and also economic investment from other areas. So that is, uh, if you will, low-hanging fruit for us to get to work on. What do you need from your colleagues to get started on that? That project is already, uh, well, uh, Councilman Knudsen is already working on it. I can assist him uh, on my side of the county where we have some shared interest and where I can be helpful. And I know that it is going to be successful, but I will let the councilman speak to that idea, uh, if you will. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the building blocks. Uh, it's it's trust, it's compassion. Um, so it's being able to be vulnerable and susceptible. And um, luckily, we have uh, two commissioners on the call now that I, I trust implicitly because I want to and because I have to, because I can't do it on my own. The city can't do much of anything on its own. It requires the collaboration. And so um, it's a pleasure to be able to work with people you trust. And from that, everything magical happens. You trust someone, you talk to them. Ideas are um, more poignant, they're more um, available. And when energy strikes, it strikes fast and furious and you gotta be ready to take advantage of it. And so this is the, the first of many steps between the city and the county. And there's, there's hundreds of examples of the city and the county and elected officials working together to make Nevada what it is now. And it's a great place, it's amazing. Um, we can be better. And this is how it happens is by earning trust and following through on what you say you can and can't do. Wonderful. So a couple of things have come up, political will, trust, and collaboration. Those seem to be kind of some pillars that are, are really rising. This particular podcast was really birthed out of our town hall series. And one of the things that really just became the theme of questions is really about justice. And so that includes healthcare, that includes the economic justice, it includes environmental justice, all of that is a piece. We have a fantastic police department and I've had the opportunity to, to talk with many police officers in our city who, who really believe in compassion and it's been so inspiring. Of course, we've got the DA, we've got uh, Hope for Prisoners, which is, is getting a lot of national attention right now. So that rehabilitation aspect. One thing that we seem to have an opportunity to build is restorative justice. And that taps into the school system, that taps into our healthcare system, and of course, law enforcement. Is restorative justice something that the three of you could, could get behind and maybe even create a, a statement of sorts that would, would move that forward as we do approach, as you mentioned, 2031, because we know it's not gonna happen overnight. But maybe it's something that we can start talking about as the new session begins. So I'll just say on, on the county side, uh, a year or two ago, uh, the 
our, our juvenile justice uh, program put together the Harbor, which is really an opportunity for kids recovering issues in school uh, to be diverted from being in the criminal uh, justice center, the juvenile justice system. And the Harbor has, has been award-winning. Um, we've expanded it to four locations across the valley, uh, just opened uh, locations in, on East Flamingo and in North Las Vegas in the last few months. And, and I think the Harbor is really uh, a great model for how to go forward with the adult criminal justice system and, and the, the restorative uh, process for diverting people uh, early on before they really have interactions uh, so that we can make sure that people are able to move on with their lives, both as the perpetrators and the victims. I can talk about it from a, um, a different perspective. I agree with everything the commissioner said um, and fully supportive of really everybody in our community. Everybody deserves a chance to be successful. Um, one of the interesting challenges that I, I didn't really think a whole lot about before coming into office, but has become very clear to me is this, this, um, this idea of land use. Uh, and so restorative justice, um, it's wonderful to talk about. And then the next difficult conversation is where do you put it? Where is it? Because it's something that happens between two pieces out of place, place for it to happen where you don't have your constituents angry at you um, is a challenge. Uh, and so I want to real, real quickly talk on a on an item that came before city council where we approved about 400 units of attainable housing, uh, if you will, low income housing, multifamily and senior housing. Um, and it was, it was Democrats and Republicans alike that came out and adamantly opposed anything that was going to potentially bring down the value of their homes. Um, and so it's this interesting question about if we can develop a robust restorative justice system in Nevada, defining what that looks like and then defining where it goes. It requires an incredible amount of political will to stand up and say, I realize as a neighborhood, um, you may not want this near you, but in Nevada, we have to make sure that individuals have access to services. We have to make sure that individuals have access to a transit system and food and education and healthcare. And if they are um, entering into society, they have to be part of society. Um, very difficult conversation and requires an incredible amount of trust between those agencies that provide restorative justice, uh, the neighborhoods that will be near it, um, and the, the systems that will hopefully support individuals that, that re-enter society successfully. And I can speak a little bit to that. Um, in councilman, that's a very, you know, it's very unique. You know, you, you have bipartisan support against something that is supposed to be uh, good for those who are trying to reenter society as well as, uh, you know, deter them from, you know, going further down that wrong path. Uh, but one thing that I have witnessed uh, in my time, you know, I grew up in a very uh, majority minority area um, in the historic West Side. One thing that I found is that, and this is just my opinion, America has never wanted to realize uh, the wrongs that it has done. Uh, to, to underrepresented communities, to black communities, to black, black, Latinx community. And that is an example of not wanting to realize that there is a problem. And also when a solution is presented, but that solution, which takes a lot of political will, which is what we discussed earlier. 
So it is going to take a lot of communication before things are presented. We're going to have to get out into our communities. We're going to have to knock on doors. We're actually going to have to make ourselves vulnerable in helping others to see, like, hey, this is something that we can do and that we should do that is also going to be beneficial to all of us. Because let's just say if someone goes to prison, which is, you know, under the old model, supposed to be a, a reformative a model to be able to reform that individual. But then we don't, uh, well, we didn't before the last legislative session want them to have the right to vote, which is giving them power and agency over themselves to select who their representatives should be. Uh, so we are going to continue to have to have these conversations. Uh, we are going to have to be honest. We are going to have to be vulnerable, uh, which you know actually helps you to create trust because you cannot trust someone and not have vulnerability towards them. So we have to be more vulnerable towards one another. You'll realize that our shared prosperity or demise is all interconnected between one another. So it is a task that is heavy. Uh, sometimes it's not popular, but it is also needed in this moment that we're in. And I believe that this is a moment where we can reinvent ourselves and reinvent the type of work that we are doing in the community. What I just heard from both of you is that we really need to help Las Vegas, the county, the state, be more compassionate to live up to our ideals. Because if you have people that are concerned that, oh, my property value, well, that's not an evidence of compassion. That's an evidence that they are self-compassionate perhaps at best, but self-centered if we're gonna be frank. So what can we move forward to, to encourage the various groups that you all represent to embrace compassion as a virtue? Maybe that's what we should look at. I believe- For me- that, Oh, go ahead, Councilman. For me, it's, it's, it's that, that's going back to the same thing, is being, being, being able to talk about it openly and freely um, here are the, the challenges, here are the opportunities. Not everyone will be happy, um, but is it best for the overall society? And are we righting the wrongs of our past selves? Um, because there are many wrongs uh, in Nevada, there are many wrongs in this country, and we, I think, in my humble opinion, are elected to right those wrongs and make this world a better place. And that requires being very courageous and also just being incredibly open and honest and transparent about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and in my experience, if you're open, honest, and transparent, people may be upset for a little while, um, but they understand. They want the world to be better. They're just, their self-interest comes first, and you have to sometimes overcome that. I agree. Uh, I totally agree. Sometimes people are, are inherently just selfish. And, you know, and people are, you know, that also comes to, you know, how you were raised, how you were brought up. Be concerned with self first, then, you know, worry about others. Uh, but as we see people continue to, uh, to, to live a life, a quality of life, uh, we have to help others understand that we have to work together to make sure we improve the quality of life for everyone. And granted, some people don't want help, and that's fine. We can't force you know, support and help on folks who don't want it. But for those who would like to have an opportunity to improve their situation, those who would like to participate in a discussion that makes them all vulnerable, uh, we would be able to get to this place uh, where we are envisioning a more compassionate, uh, a more passionate society and a more sincere society. We have to be 
truly and sincerely concerned about the well-being of our neighbor. Uh, you know, how are we treating our neighbors? Um, when we see someone who is, you know, without food, are we taking a dollar out of our pocket to buy them, a, you know, a meal or, or a, you know, a salad or, or a sandwich? Or what are we doing to help those who are in need? And that's how I try to live my life. The best decision that I've, you know, been taught to make is a fair one. At the end of the day, we have to be willing to just do what is fair. And oftentimes, what's fair is right. So it, we have to continue these conversations. It starts with the conversation because throughout history, if you look, the, the, the first thing that happens before a war is a failure of communication. When both sides stop talking, that is the start of a war throughout history, over thousands of years. So we have to keep the, the, the door of, of, of communication open. And we have to be able to listen to each other without, you know, going off into an argument and just realize that, yes, we do have different opinions. And yes, that is OK. But the question is, how are we going to voice our opinions and still make progress? And, and that is the balance that we have to make as 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 policymakers and, and as uh, folks who are in the community on the ground, understanding what are the issues that are going on and then take that back to our chambers to figure out how we can advance an agenda. Because at the end of the day, um, love is an action word. If I love you, I'm going to show you that I love you. If, I'm, if I love you, I am going to make moves to make sure that you know that I love you. And that's what we have to do. We have to show love from our positions of power. We have to speak truth from a position of power to people in power. And that is our responsibility. And, and I, I, I don't have any solutions for how, how we make people more compassionate. But to a certain extent, I don't want that to get in the way of what our jobs are as elected officials. And I think you see this a lot in uh, land use decisions. Uh, the, the, the neighbors who might be around a proposed project are the ones that are going to be showing up with their pitchforks in opposition to uh, a multi-use uh, product, uh, something where folks who are of lower income uh, might benefit from. The, the developer for that project might be there at the zoning meeting, but it isn't the 400 residents who might take advantage of that property uh, who are represented uh, at, that, at that meeting. It's only the, the neighbor with the pitchfork. And, and so I think we, in our land use decisions, we need to do a better job of making sure that the entire community is represented and, and not just those who are most directly affected uh, in order to ensure that all of us as, as decision makers uh, on these types of projects are getting the entire perspective of, of our community so that we make the right decisions, that it's not just the, the loudest voices in the room, uh, it's really all of the voices in the community. Um, I, I've tried to, to, to do that in, in my district. I've had a number of uh, low-income housing projects that are proposed, and I have asked that uh, representative groups come and, and participate in those, but it's challenging. Um, I think we need to do a better job in that respect. I absolutely agree. And I just want to note that we are coming to the close of our time together. But I think what you just said is so important, that engagement, 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 actually having the people that are affected have a place, feel included, and feel safe. And that's, that's really building on trust. And I think the way that you build that trust could potentially be through compassion. 
So if each of you would just in a, in a one or two sentences, and I know that I always ask that and it's like a paragraph, but that's okay. If, if you could just share what you think we need to do from this point forward to increase engagement so that compassionate or so that Las Vegas could be more compassionate. Commissioner, would you go first? Sure. I would just say uh, the most important thing is obviously to, to lead by example. Uh, we are in these positions of, of power because the people elected us to them uh, for a reason. And uh, we can't expect the, the people who elected us to these positions to be compassionate to their neighbors if we aren't doing so. And so you know, I, I know my colleagues and I are all committed to showing that compassion to the people in our communities that are uh, that are least able to to speak up, um, and so I think that's what we really need to do is is be examples. Wonderful. And my follow up on that because you you sparked I think something we can put as an action item. I'm about getting getting something done. I know it takes a while, but we, I think we've arrived there. Committing to modeling compassion would would it be possible? for you to become involved. And I, I don't know exactly how this would work or how to even flesh this out right now, but the idea really would be as compassionate elected officials, perhaps to, to put that in your signature line or uh, have a, a social media campaign or, or something around that that says, the three of us are going to lead compassionately and we're recruiting all of our colleagues to join it. Yeah, of course. I think that's a great idea. Uh, I also think that there are other opportunities. Like I said, the city and the county are both going through their, their master planning processes. And I think that compassion to other members of our communities uh, has to be a part of that 2050 vision for our community. Wonderful. Love it, love it, love it. Councilman. Uh, oh, go ahead, Councilman. Commissioner, go, go for it. You started. No, I was going to just say that, you know, I really like where Will was going with this. Maybe we can just become the compassionate caucus. Yeah, it has a ring to it. But truly, uh, it is needed, right? Because uh, if you do not have compassion, you cannot lead in a way that is going to be beneficial to the people that you're responsible, responsible to and responsive to. Uh, but one thing that I would like to say as we close uh, is that uh, I, would want, I want voters to know that we have to change the way that we see politics. We have to change the way that we do politics. We have to not only cast our vote on election day and during early voting, but we also have to take time and you know put on our calendar one day to show up for a meeting, one day to be active and engaged in, 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 in the process of, of, of how things are changed within our community. Uh, because if we are not showing up, then we cannot get the change that we are seeking today in 2020, October 15th. We are still benefiting from the progress and from the activism and from the intentionality of those who came 60, 50 years ago. We are still benefiting from that progress. So we have to stay engaged even after we cast our vote. We have to continue to organize ourselves and our, and our communities. And we have to get together truly get together and have discussions about what we are feeling in our homes. And at the end of the day, I know that people are concerned about whether or not they're gonna be able to put food on the table, whether or not they're gonna be able to take care of their kids and whether or not their kids are going to be afforded a quality education. 
that is important. That is on the forefront of our minds uh, as community members. And I, I put myself in that because I care and those are the things that I think about. Uh, so compassion, and we have to be intentional about our actions for the people. Councilman, last words. And I very much appreciate uh, those on the call. I agree with everything that was stated. Um, I would add on to that that the, there's so many people in our community that don't care if they live in the city of Las Vegas or Clark County, um, and they don't care who I am, uh, and that's okay because at the end of the day, they have to focus in on making their children and themselves most successful, and my job is to go to where they are. Um, and so that is harder than it sounds because there's only so much time in the day, um, and there's so many people that desperately need to be heard. Um, and so I think that that's one thing I think is important for being a, a compassionate leader is going out to where those are, those people are and identifying what are the things that will have the greatest impact on their quality of life, um, meeting them where they are. Uh, and so that that's important to me as far as identifying as the compassionate caucus, signing my name as a compassionate leader. Uh, yes, of course, uh, anything, anything that Gar Jameson says too. Yes, because he is the, the North Star in our community that says um, what is right from wrong and is helpful to know how to how to lead by example. Um, and again, I would go back to we are one Nevada, one Southern Nevada. Um, and at the basis, we are all human beings. Um, and it, when you sit down and listen to everybody, we all really do want the same things, which is to be able to take care of ourselves and our families. Um, and as a leaders, elected leaders, we have enormous influence over that, whether people know it or not. It's our job to reach out and find out how we can make their lives better. Thank you. And I want to thank each of you for your time today and for this is actually being recorded prior to an election. So busy, busy schedules. And I just want to offer my sincere appreciation and gratitude for making this a priority and for being a part of this podcast and for caring about our community. Each of you are amazing human beings. And that to me is the, the heart of our city. We are a city, a county, a state of amazing human beings. This is the Compassionate Las Vegas podcast. And I wanna thank you for listening and for watching and for getting involved and making our city a more compassionate place to live, to work and play. We have a surprise here and I'm surprising him with this, but Gar Jameson is actually on the, the podcast today. So would you please just close us out with a few words? Well, Compassionate Caucus, I love it. Um, I think this has got a future, William. I, I, I wanna say that I think we're in the midst of a realization, which is that systems of domination no longer work and that systems of collaboration and partnership and engagement are the systems of the future. And I wanna encourage all of the viewers to look at a book by Rian Eisler, Nurturing Our Humanity, which suggests we need to change the narrative. And I think, William, you were speaking to that. We need to let people know that fear is not the dominating emotion of our, of our thoughts or our emotions. That love, as you said, William, is the dominating emotion if we let it in. So I want to encourage all of our listeners and I want to thank our participants for their engagement with this value. I believe compassion is the North Star of the future and that we have a huge opportunity, a legacy, in fact, 
in this generation to show our community, our state, and perhaps our nation and the world that Las Vegas leads in terms of an engaged community. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we'll leave it there. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonrich Group. There are so many amazing things happening in our city, and so many people have inspirational stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at will at winningwithwill.com. Use the subject line Compassionate LV or Compassionate Las Vegas and let me know your story. I would love to have you on the show or to feature you in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe. And if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make the world a more compassionate place. What ideas do you have for being more compassionate? Tell me about them in your review. And in case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, is also on YouTube. If you want to not only hear the awesome stories, but see the energy of our guests, subscribe to our visual podcast on YouTube. Just search Compassionate LV Podcast with Will Rucker, and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion aren't luxuries. They are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. Be well, my friends, and we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast.